This is a HeadGum Podcast. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Inside Voices. I'm Kevin T. Porter. My guest today is Gabby Dunn. Okay, so a little background. Gabby Dunn is an actress, writer, author. She's written books, written for shows like Big Mouth on Netflix. And you can add to this list of credentials YouTube personality. Yes, Gabby used to be one of the YouTube people before literally everyone in the world became one via Zoom. She had a show with her partner, Allison Raskin, called Just Between Us, a slightly fictionalized advice show that became a podcast of the same name. In addition to that show, Gabby also has a podcast called Bad With Money, tackling financial issues both macro and micro from a personal perspective. I know Gabby a little bit, and someone as accomplished as her is always intimidating at first. But as a friend to me, she is very compassionate. She's very easy and very understanding. I feel like a common point of discourse when talking about podcasting is talking about its vulnerability. And Bad With Money takes a topic that might be the most personal to us and makes it as easy and accessible to understand as Gabby herself is. Now, let's hear Gabby describe her own voice. Loud? I guess I speak very loudly to the point that I had my hearing checked because I was nervous um, like years ago because I I am very loud or, or I don't realize when I'm shouting, which I think is because my household growing up was chaotic and also Jewish. And so everyone just shouts over each other. It's like kind of like Italian or Jewish. Like nobody waits for anyone to finish. You talk over the person or you uh, if you can get if you can be louder, then now you're the center of attention. But you have to like drown someone else out. So I interrupt people a lot. And then I also don't feel bad when someone interrupts me. Like I almost want that. Like when I go back and forth with someone and I've had arguments where they've been like uh, someone's like you like they 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 don't like you because you talk over them and i'm like oh well they should just yell over me like what are they like just what are you doing this is such a classic <laughs> i don't know that my family is weird or strange until i talk to other people situation in terms of like how people communicate like some uh-huh. people cannot take uh uh, ridicule or mockery if they aren't raising a family that kind of like thrives on it mm-hmm. and, and like joking around with each other and in the same way people who were raised with you wait for the other person to speak and then you speak mm-hmm. your piece and then you allow them space they they would yeah find that to be 
So when did when did you start to find that that was strange? That that was like not the norm. Was that like in school? Well, in school, yeah, I would get in trouble a lot um, for talking. I mean, my name is Gabby. So it's a very obvious sort of joke that would come up a lot where like teachers would tell my mom like, oh, you really named her correctly. Or my one teacher, we had like a spelling bee type thing and everyone had to like spell a difficult word. And she gave me loquacious because she was like, you should know that one. (laughs) So I always had like, you know, or they would do that game of like, you know, cool Kevin or whatever. You had to like say like, I don't know what a K would be. What did you ever, what did you say for that? Oh, I would always do kind Kevin. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Why is that? Wow. Because <laughs> it's so boring. I know. Uh, it is, and then, <laughs> so I would always do Gabby Gabby. So yeah. So I always knew that I talked a lot, but I didn't realize that other people didn't like it until much later. Like, I always assume that if someone wants to say something, they'll cut me off and and say it. Or I sometimes have, like, if I want to tell someone something, I'll just tell them. But if someone else, like my partners in the past or like people, friends have been like, you have to say, how are you? And I'm like, why? If you want me to know how you are, just tell me. And like people don't like that. Um, And so I have really good friendships with people who are just like, like walk in the door and start. You know what I mean? Like people who just come in my house and are like, you'll never guess what happened versus like people who are waiting for me to go. How are you? Yeah, well, all that seems to be getting into this idea of familiarity and even the idea of cutting someone off and listening by interrupting them because you're responding Mm -hmm. to a thing that they said. There's also seem to be hallmarks of Friendships or relationships are pretty intimate. And and those remind me of people who have like close friendships where, of course, they can talk about everything forever. Sometimes there's space, but also there's just this like general excitement of like, I can't wait to tell you this part. I can't wait to tell you this part. And you can't wait to respond like this to me in this mm-hmm. way. So, But some people it's pulling teeth. Some people like you have to be like, and then how did you feel? And then how did you feel? And they like want you to do that. Right. Whereas um, you volunteer the information you think? Yeah. Well, I had my family like roasts each other. It's like very loud. Um, and then my partner's family is also Jewish. And um, they said that other people they've dated or that like people, their sisters have dated have been like, your family is screaming over each other. And also uh, like a couple of like, they've like cried because they've been like, this is so intense. Or like their sister went to like someone's house that they were dating and met the parents and was like, you guys are like, you guys are silent in your house. Like, it's so quiet. And then he was like, what are we supposed to be? Like your family just screaming over each other. And when I met Mal, my partner Mal, when I met Mal's family for the first time, I was like soothed. I was like, oh, thank God. Like everyone's yelling over each other. (laughs) Cause like, then I felt like I could, you know, I could just do what I do. And everything was fine. Yeah. And I guess I I do wonder if you find that in your personal relationships now, and I know you have a lot of different kinds of friends, but if you do gravitate more towards those kinds of people where it is like the louder people. It depends. Sometimes someone will talk really loud and interrupt and I'll be like, "Ugh, what a nightmare. And then I think, oh no, that's what people think about me. (laughs) It depends though. But but with you, and I know you a little bit personally, but like it always does seem to function out of a sense of like care and focus where sometimes that stuff, and it's most often coded, I think, in like 
portrayals or depictions of it or when we hear or read about people like that as people mm-hmm. not caring or people who are not focused or they're kind of in their own little world and they're brash and they come in and talk mm-hmm. about this stuff without like concern for whoever it is on the other end of that conversation yeah I'm just too excited and my brain is going really fast mm-hmm. so I'm like doing kind of like a Rolodex so it's Gemini season right now and there's a whole thing too of Gemini's like uh, it's like asking 17 questions and not really caring about the answers. Um, you know, <laughs> talking, talking about yourself a lot or like being very, there's like a whole thing of Gemini's being loud and self-involved and whatever. It's not like self-involved. It's like wanting to relate to the person and trying to, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like I do best with people who just also are confident and, and have the idea, like, believe that people want to hear what you have to say. Fight for it. Don't just, like, start to say what you're going to say. And then when someone starts talking, be quiet and just be like, oh, I guess what I wasn't saying was important. But I do the thing now when I see people like that, where, like, someone will start to say something. They'll get cut off either by me or someone else. And then I'll go, sorry, what were you saying before? Because they like need that invitation back into the conversation. Yeah, it it sounds like what you're looking for, like an ideal social setting in your life, is something resembling, like the Algonquin table and your Dorothy Parker. That <laughs> one's just like trading barbs and witticisms, and oh. there is like a competitive energy to that verbosity. I love, I love to be roasted. <laughs> if somebody, if somebody gets a good one, oh my god, I, I, there's nothing. And if I make fun of someone else, it's I and they like it. Oof. But it's you have to go for it. Like if you go for it and someone doesn't like it rough. But a lot of times I have really mean things to say in my head and they're so funny and I feel like I want to say them. And then sometimes I say them and they work. And then sometimes I'm like, you have to keep this to yourself. And it's painful because it's so funny. Yeah. Well, in <laughs> in a lot of times with like relationships and stuff, that almost mm-hmm. becomes a token of intimacy where mm-hmm. you're actually exhibiting the safety that is allowed of, I can say this and we still love each other. And I yeah. say this because I love you. And I have this like intimate knowledge of this thing that might be painful from someone that doesn't know you or love you as well as I do. Right. Well, I'm, I am very quick with Rose and, and Mal is um, just like a very poetic, sensitive, loving soul. And so uh, it's actually been helpful because they get, they're very emotional and it's helpful for me to be like, make fun of it a little bit and it lowers the stakes sometimes. Yeah. And it's like, it can be diffusing and it can be mm-hmm. uh, disarming in the good way in that sense. And yeah. complimentary in that sense of filling each but other. That's up. why, that's why I love getting roasted. Cause it fe- makes me feel like then the person knows me. It's like being seen. Totally. Yeah. It's and there's so much that. to make fun of. There's so much to make fun of. Of like, course. Maybe that's what you're talking about, about the people that come in and they're brash or whatever. It's like a self-awareness. It's just if you have self-awareness or not. Right. Do you feel like your self-awareness is pretty attuned if you had to analyze it? I th- I think so. Because I understand that I'm annoying. And so I try. All right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not for everyone. And why should I be? I-, I don't like every person. So if someone doesn't like me, it's sort of like, I get it. 
<laughs> did you want to be for everyone at, at any point in your life, though? Or has it always been yeah. like, I am Gabby, individual, love it or leave no, it? No, I, I wanted to try to be for everyone. Um, but in the last, like, f- I would say four or five years, I'm sort of like, I don't like every song I hear. So why should someone hear my podcast and be like, oh, why should every person like my podcast? Like, you don't have to. There's so much content. Like, enjoy what you enjoy. Leave me alone. I think the distinction I draw with that is... Uh, Obviously, not everyone's going to be for everyone. The The thing I want, and I don't even know if this is possible, but I don't want to be hurtful to anyone. Like, hey, I may, oh, yeah. I may not be your favorite, but I also don't want to make you feel bad for any specific reason. No, of reason. course. And I'm sure you're the yes. same way. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't want to make anyone feel bad unless I guess they're like a Republican or terrible. But, um, but like, I don't, I don't want to make anyone feel feel bad but i also understand like being annoying is different than being hurtful like i understand if someone's like you know i get feedback on the podcast which i really take to heart which is like you talk over people so i that was like in the beginning of the podcast and i was like oh okay got it so i learned to like not do that that's podcasting like you're interviewing someone you you should let them talk and i was like you write you write commenters <laughs> Right. Well, it depends. It depends on the thing because all these things that we're talking about on a personal level about interrupting as listening or giving space mm-hmm. versus not or overlapping or being loud, those are all personal things. So translating that to a yeah. sort of careerist or professional context, sometimes that's what the whole deal is. And it's like, I want to capture these personal things and then like commodify them. And then sometimes it's like, all right, we're going to leave these at the door and bring these things in and like not do this. So it depends. Like, I don't know if the way you talk to your best friends would be the best way to talk to Roxanne Gay, like when you interview right. her or something like that. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I, I was just thinking about it. Like the person is starting to say the thing and I know where they're going with what they're going to say. So I'm like, I cut them off to be like, yes, yes, yes. And then so to me, it's like, I totally get where you're coming from. You don't need to say any more. It goes back to this and probably the way you were raised and the way you were, you learned to communicate in your family is that there wasn't like waspy subtext and emotional. It was just like, I'm sad. I'm happy. I'm mad. And that's just what it was. I mean, I grew up in an addict and alcoholic home. I grew up like, uh, it's not, I say, well, it's like redneck. I think like everyone just kind of said what they wanted or like I guess I must have felt like if I didn't just explicitly say what I wanted it wasn't gonna happen I think we were encouraged to just be like very direct about stuff but also it's it was loud there so so the yelling over each other is sort of how how you either you yell and it's still this way even though my dad's sober you either you yell over everyone and you win and you get to tell your story or your wallpaper. You just fade it and you got to fight for the front. And if you don't fight for the front, you're, you don't even exist anymore. Do you think that's been more helpful for you as an ethic than hurtful? Well, it's interesting because amongst friends, I'm usually the like louder person or trying kind of to pull focus. And then in, (laughs) in my family, if you saw me with my family, you would not recognize me. Because they are so much louder and so much like more than me that I am the quiet one. Like I get shit for being quiet. 
my siblings will be yelling or whatever and they'll be like Gabby or they don't say they say Gabrielle they'll be like Gabrielle and I'll be like yep like I'm not involved like I don't want to be involved in it I never wanted to be involved in the drama so like anything that was going on I was like I don't want to be part of it there's a lot of like throwing gasoline on the fire so like there'll be like a small fire in the family and I'll be like what if we all just went to our rooms and didn't engage with this and instead my mom there's a hornet's nest my mom kicks it then my like dad is like I wish you wouldn't kick that hornet's nest then my sister is like I'm covered in bees and like that's (laughs) the fucking situation and I remember in like I would constantly be like what if we just didn't and they'd be like no I think that we should so that's some of the that's some of the family identity and maybe some of the like literal cultural identity that informs how you use your voice how do you feel like queer identity has informed how you've used your voice like even when you were a kid or and maybe even before you like fully grasped or or knew all those things about yourself I think that's part of becoming wallpaper like I think you're trying not to get noticed like I think you're sort of like if the spotlight's not on me no one will know. No one will figure it out. Yeah. So when, when were you there, fully out? I knew something was up when I was like 12. And I was like, ooh, table this. This is bad. Uh, and then or just kind of I guess I thought of it as like, you like that's an adult problem. Like that's for when you're a grown up. Um, <laughs> truly. That's I was like, a, you can get such a funny compartmentalization. Yeah. Especially like, in high school can't... when everyone's so horny and shit. Like it's I was so... like in seventh grade and I was like, you can just get back to this at a yeah. later date. Oh. Um God. in like eighth grade and ninth grade, I had like friends who I sort of would talk to about it. And then when I got to college, I was like, Well, I'm in college, so I should I'll just I'll just start over and act like I'm so confident and have been this my whole life. Yeah. Uh, was there any and, sort of like femininity that you performed in your voice that was maybe like compensating for anything? Did that affect any part of it? Like literally how you presented vo- vocally or verbally? I didn't feel like I fit in with the community at all. Mm-hmm. So with the uh, queer community, you mean, or yeah, in, in college because I like I was bisexual and lesbian and lesbians were mean to me. Which is kind of a common thing for bisexual women. Uh, When I got to L.A. is when I started being more vocal and more like outspoken about queer stuff. Um, Because I never when we Allison and I started the the YouTube channel that launched us, I was never in like we talked about it. I just started talking about it on the channel like as if like this is what's up, which I always joke. I'm like, God, I should have stayed in the closet and then monetized it. And made like a whole coming out video where I'm like crying. That's a whole uh, move now too, in terms of uh, like the commodification of sexual identity, which is I uh, would have been rich. Yeah, I should have sure. saved it for a book. Like, what am I doing? Yeah, or at least a Rolling Stone cover story, a la Janelle Monet. I can't. Uh, like I should have, <laughs> but I just, I just didn't. Yeah. Um, I was just like out from the beginning, which I, I am slightly bitter about. And I tweeted about that one time, and I got in trouble, so I had to delete it. Yeah, and then I started talking about it a lot. And then I think like more like gender presentation changed. Like I I was very feminine. And then I had a boyfriend. And because I had this boyfriend, I felt like I should look more queer. So I like shaved my head. I had like no hair. To compensate and not be a traitor? Uh, to look gay. Yeah. Like the more I had a boyfriend, the <laughs> right, more I was I mean. like, I want to I wanna look gay. And then I was like, and then it'll confuse people. Kind of like I was like, this will be fun. Like they'll be like, oh, look at that lesbian. Huh? Um, 
And so I was doing that for a while and um, dressing very masculine and um, wearing a lot of like, uh, there's companies that make like gender neutral bathing suits, which it's like, okay. I talk about it all the time because I felt like erased because I had a boyfriend. So I was like, I need to talk about it all the time. And I need to like make this the focal point of what I talk about on my shows. And I need this to be like the the centerpiece of what I talk about. Yeah, it's almost um, like paying your membership dues where it's like, you haven't yeah. been to a meeting in quite a bit. Well, don't uh-huh. worry, I'd still subscribe to the newsletter and everything yeah, in, in all these pretty other much. ways. Yeah. Yes. And so I that's like became like a huge but that was a blessing because it brought people like that related to me to the shows and it brought me like this this wonderful audience of bisexuals who are like, you know, very loyal and and I and like see themselves in me and are very like sweet um will just like follow what I do cuz they trust that there'll be like positive representation in it, which I really feel uh not like a burden sounds bad but i feel like the weight a responsibility a lot yeah 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 but i i look back sometimes and i'm like you had no fucking idea what you were talking about i mean that's probably natural for all of us to do for anything older than two years yeah right but like i was like i'm a spokesperson for the queer community and then i was like you don't know fucking anything (laughs) (laughs) what you don't know shit yeah well and all that stuff you know and obviously i don't understand so much of it but all all that stuff feels so loaded with um, whatever the dynamics within the community are, but even in the sense of like the idea of uh, people having a voice that reads as queer or codes as queer. Yes, totally. And and that's so much more even a uh, focal point or something that's been verbalized in a lot of different ways when it comes towards you. Don't you get like, don't you kind of get like a not like like affectations like oh kevin your affectations read as queer right no well yeah sometimes i do (laughs) not just for it cannot just be me it cannot just be me it's not just from you i promise but no no of course what are we reading like it's it's um it fits some people but then it doesn't fit other people yeah there's this like beautiful like uh at at this bar 4100 there's a bartender there who's like reads so queer and we used to have like buy drinks night there and she's beautiful and my friend was like i'm gonna ask her out and so my friend went up to like ask her out and she was like oh i'm sorry i'm straight and we were all like oh what like well we were like this is false advertising because she has like a shaved head and like she's we were like what no um and so like i think you know there's certain things that like we we don't own flamboyant hand gestures right like, we exactly. don't own like well and that's the thing with like with male voice stuff where even those narratives and dynamics seem a little more clear-cut to me of of like oh this was coda's like queer or something that was like lispy or something like that and like that goes both ways and there's queer people that are not like that there's straight people that mm-hmm. are like that but with um feminine voice in that sort of performance it feels a lot more elusive to me what the dynamics are what's valued in terms of queerness like what is like oh this is like a a a patently first draft thought of like what a a queer woman's voice is versus a straight woman and how all those things play out yeah i mean there's certain definitely like butch women there's also this like intangible thing that i've been seeing a lot of which is like like lesbian face or like gay face or like just like where like I saw a picture of myself from when I was like maybe I'm like eight and I'm dressed for Halloween but not like in a costume I'm just wearing like a pumpkin shirt or something 
and I, and my, I like, I don't know how else to explain it, but I just, my, I look like a tiny lesbian. Like my face is just so gay. And I sent it to a friend of mine and she was like, that's a gay little child. And I was like, I I don't know how to, even my sister who's straight sent me the picture and then just wrote gay. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what is being conveyed, but like there's something that is, so I think it's like it's almost similar to like horse girl energy where you're like, this is a horse girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> like I, that's what I was reading. I was like, this is either a horse girl or a lesbian, but it's like or both. But like, I don't know. I feel like, um, you know, it's interesting. My partner is on testosterone. My partner's a transmasculine person and they're on testosterone and their voice lowers all the time. So they're early they're musicians so their early music their voice is very high and so and one of their songs from when their voice was very high went viral on tiktok and they this is a 2020 story uh and it went viral on tiktok and so this song is like everywhere and they're like uh, like yikes and 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 because it sounds like a very feminine voice people are like who's the singer i love her i want to follow her Ooh, and my partner's like, no. Yeah, that's such a dilemma now. Yeah, and their voice now is very low and they're nervous because of being a musician. So this is a thing, right? So y- you're signed by a publishing agency and they put you in the category male or female because companies will say, we need a female vocal for this or we need a male vocal for this. And so Mal goes in both categories. But like, what does that mean? And I had this as an actress. um, I went out and auditioned when I was with an agency. I went out and auditioned almost exclusively for like gay parts or lesbian parts. And I think they had like, because my comedy partner who's straight, they had both, they had both of us and she didn't, they didn't do that for her. And I was like, I feel like they have a file that's like gay actors, straight actors. And then they just- Yeah, and then they just, but it would be like me looking how I do with like every butch actress in town. And I'd be like, there's no world in which I get this. In terms of voice, I think sometimes for queer women that are more masculine, you're looking for like swagger voice. Swagger voice. Well, how would you? Yeah, like a, like, um, like a cowboy, like a John Wayne type of like swagger sort of like. I don't know. Like um, this girl, what's her name? Grace Kulenschmidt. <laughs> um, so she's a lesbian and she makes these front facing comedy videos. And she did this one where it was like lesbian in a movie, every lesbian in a movie. And it was like this girl coming up and being like, hey, can I bum a cigarette? I know it's your wedding night, but. And like just the way she was <laughs> doing it, I was like, this is how you're perceived. You're perceived as like this swaggery, cool sort of like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. That like like a ca- like a cowboy, and that all has to do with like depiction or representation because, yeah. especially now when it feels like uh, as problematic as things can still be now that if we're swinging towards a more positive representation and depiction in media, then in a positive way, people I think sometimes the first thought with how to depict queer women is, well, they're the coolest. They're the coolest yeah. ones in the room. So how, like, yeah. let's cast people that can 
embody those things. And it's like either. Yeah. Either it's a hyper feminine straight woman playing a lesbian on like a CW show. Exactly. Yes. And her girlfriend is also a hyper feminine straight woman. Yeah. Or it's this depiction where we have masculine traits and that's why we're hot. We're like carpenters <laughs> and we're like here to fix your plumbing. And then, you know what I mean? And then like, and then it's like, oh, I, you know, all of a sudden I real, I, I realize that uh, what I need is a woman to change my light bulbs or whatever the fuck. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like totally. that. The Swaggery so Cowboy. It's, it's, I'm trying to think of like a, a celebrity or like a performer that does sort of embody those things that we're talking about where it's like. Cherry oh, Jones. Cherry Jones is exactly it. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. It's that kind of like, um, like butch sort of. Yeah. But, but someone you trust and someone who has like this uh, palpable Yeah. You're like, confidence. take care of me forever, please. Mm-hmm. Like I, I need you. I said, I had a, this was before I had a greater understanding of gender, but I had, I, the sentiment holds true is I had a tweet that was like, um, uh, as a bisexual, I only like men who look like they've never changed a light bulb and women who look like they could build me a table. (laughs) (laughs) That's terrific. That's probably true. That's it. Yeah, that's true. It's like very feminine men and very masculine women. And that's it. I love that. That was a while ago. It's, it's expanded, but that was like the, like just a dainty little prince boy. And then like a girl who's like, I, I dressed a deer for you. Like, you know what I mean? Let's take a break from Gabby's loud voice and we'll be right back with more inside voices. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome back to Inside Voices. And now, the rest of my conversation with Gabby. Can you describe, like, the impetus for Bad With Money for me and, like, where all that stuff came from? I know you've done it a million, billion times. I was going to make a podcast with Panoply. They had asked me to. And we were going to do, like, a queer dating advice or whatever because that's, like, what I had always done. And I was going through a lot of financial troubles and I don't really have like parental help and I don't really have um, like I've kind of always been like doing stuff on my own and I've always sort of figured out crafty ways to like make 50 bucks or like get around things or um, but this weird thing was going on where I had an online audience Like I would get upset because I had like 10K Twitter followers, but like $100. And I was like, why wouldn't 
each one of these people should give me a dollar. <laughs> like, right. Which is like such the live social media is that it translates to any sort of like feasible nothing. financial stability. Yeah. Right. So I was struggling and, um, I didn't tell anyone about it. And then, uh, Allison and my boyfriend at the time figured it out. And I was like embarrassed and upset. And, and so I wrote this article, I ended up writing this article that went viral that was called get rich or die vlogging. And it was about other people on YouTube who um, had day jobs and nobody knew or they uh, seemed richer than they were. And it and it opened this door where people were like, well, you're not you don't you can't have money problems because YouTube pays you a salary. And I was like, YouTube, pay, you think YouTube pays me a salary? Like people had such a fundamental misunderstanding of like what it meant to be an Internet personality, because this was like 2015. And so I wrote this piece and then brands stopped wanting to work with me uh, because they didn't like transparency. And then uh, I was like told panoply, I want to do a show about money. So it started, the show just became like me just asking basic questions. Like we had someone on who's like from an investment firm and I was like, what's a stock? Like it just really started at zero. And I was like calling my bank and being like, what, how do I like, is my, is my credit fucked because I don't pay my student loans on time? And like, I just got I all this stuff that I never interrogated on my own because I was like going to throw up if I did. Um, I just started doing it on air. And then other people, it made other people feel uh, like they weren't stupid because I was willing to be stupid. <laughs> yeah. In that sense, it was like, it's almost like giving yourself a deadline for a creative project. So if all these like fundamentally um, laborious chores and tasks to do are actually like gristle for the mill of your show and it's like, well, that's an episode, that thing I don't want to do, then that's like such a good engine for that. Yeah. If I, I say this because I, I also wrote a Bad With Money book and I say like, I don't know how the average person does it because I turned it into a job. Like I made it a job where I make money doing it. But if I was just like a, a person who worked at Trader Joe's or a person who was like an architect or whatever, and then I had to do my own financial life, take care of my financial life on top of that, there's no way. It's a full-time job. I made it a full-time job and I still don't know everything. Right, but that curiosity is such a nice engine and I like that and I like that on the show that that is the thing there's so there's so many shows that posture and sometimes like rightfully so position themselves as like we're an expert on xyz but like starting from the place of like oh i'm kind of stupid how does any of this work makes it like really accessible i don't really have a sense of the and and i'd be curious to your perspective of like the kind of community that has built around your show, I imagine it's like an extension and runoff from other things you do and other people you've attracted from things you do, but like the kind of like person that would come to a bad with money live event or like a book signing or something like that. It has the most male listeners of anything I've done. Why do you think that is? So much more men. Um, Cause it's probably, it's, it's about money probably. It, it's like practical. And that's yeah. funny too. It's even like this thing that is so coded as like the male responsibility traditionally in like a heteronormative society is like, you're the breadwinner, you're the provider, your value is based on 
salary and bank account stuff. And then to have a queer woman kind of given the business. You know what else it. it is too, is that there's almost like a paternal thing where a lot of times like men will listen to me like struggle on the show. And like, eventually I get it, but they like want to write into me and be like, Oh, like this is how you do. Th-. Like they, they feel like this is my chance to like tell a woman how to do it. Oh. Like they feel very, they write long emails. There's like a weird paternal sort of like, Here's what I would do if I was you, uh, because I think they they listen. They listen because of the topic. They also listen because they're like, oh, a baby bird, like a woman, <laughs> um, I think. But there but it's also, yeah, it's more it's it's I mean, there's it's young queer women like everything I do. It's all it's also young women, but it has the oldest audience like there's older people. Uh, people in their like 40s, 50s and 60s, uh, which is not the audience for anything else that I've ever done and and more men. So that was it. When I did my Bad With Money live events, that was the the difference is it would be older, older people, older men, older women, older people. And then um, and then more dudes. Another thing I wonder about with a show like yours, where the central premise is lack of expertise is after do- you've been doing it for four years. Mm-hmm. So after doing something for four years, it's almost like <laughs> it's kind of like the Mark Marin problem in a way of like, I'm an outsider and I'm not successful and I'm really bitter and then cut to like 10 years later and he's a, right. like a very sub or like my life on the D list with Kathy Griffin where mm-hmm. it's like, no, you're not on the D list. So for <laughs> someone like you, it's like you probably are pretty good with a lot of this financial stuff. Not perfect. So, so much at, better, much, much better. better. But after four years, how do you do it where it's, how do you do the show where it's still interrogating all those things and those questions, honestly? Well, I've set it up that people want me to succeed. So I paid off my student loans and people were like, she did it. Like, it's like, it's like watching like a deer learn to walk. Like people are like, woo. Um, But I also, there's also always new stuff to learn. Like the season, last season we did an international season because I don't, I learned, okay, so I know how to take care of myself. I know how to take, like do the U.S tax system or whatever but like what's sweden like what's you know what's germany like Mm -hmm. uh so um australia so so last season was like all international because there's always something to like learn and and figure out and see what you know an aspect of finance that i haven't covered this this season we're doing like the wellness industry which is so funny because we started doing that season and now there's a pandemic and we had like planned it and everything. And so now there's like all these scams and like all these. So now it's kind of this season has become like me figuring out what do you actually spend your money on? What's a scam? What's like, you know, what's worth doing? What's what are people doing to try to sell you products during like a literal global tragedy? Um, so there's like always like it, it's deviated from me being like, me calling Bank of America to be like, I'm so sorry, please let me back into my account. But I also still fuck up, by the way. I like, ugh, I like paid someone or I paid too many people on Cash App in a row. And then Bank of America shut my account down. Then I had to call. Then I had, you know, like there's always something like it never goes away. Do you think of Bad With Money as an unemotional show for you? It gets emotional. I've had my family. I've had my family on. Um, we did a really insane episode where we had recorded the interview. So the interview was done. I like had recorded an interview with someone, la la la, super like jokey, happy. 
then my grandmother died <laughs> but i still had to record the vo and i hadn't done it yet so and i had recorded ads also uh which were upbeat so i recorded the vo and i was like crying and then I was like, so I had to explain like what had happened. And I was like, so basically this episode, the VO is going to be this mood. And then the ads in the interview are totally different mood. It was like personal and I and people liked it. And it became because money is so emotional and it became funny because I would like throw to an ad and I'd be like crying. And then I'd be like, and uh, and here we have to cut to what I presume will be a tonally appropriate ad. And then it would just be like stamps.com. Like it was so awful. But like it's it's a very real show. Like I was like, let's do it. Like I I think money is very emotional. Having my parents on, I mean, um, my mom hates that I do it. She hates that I expose our family. She hates like Well, that's gotta be a central tension, right? And that's something everyone mm -hmm. goes through where you're doing a show that isn't like I watched a bad movie. Let's talk about, about a bad movie. Or I'm interviewing an expert. Let's talk to the expert. But anything where yeah. you are giving of yourself. My dad, I finished an episode. I did an episode with him. I interviewed him. And then at the end of it, he just went, did you get what you need, Gabrielle? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I was so pissed. Um, so, yeah, they they go back and forth. Like, they're happy. And they still come on the show because they love attention. We did an episode a couple seasons ago where my mom was like upset about my book because she thought I had like exposed us a lot or whatever because she had equated because I had said we didn't have money growing up which is true and she had equated that with her being a bad mom so she was like why did you say I was a bad mom and I was like I didn't say you were a bad mom I said that we were low income and she's like that means that you were telling people I'm a bad mom and I was like those are not the same and then my and she like could not divorce the two and then my dad got on and I was like, dad, mom feels the book portrayed her badly and was inaccurate. And my dad was like, no, it's pretty accurate. And I was like, you guys fight this out later. It's a money show, but it it is it's not dry. Even with bad with money or anything else that you do, any of your books or, or even your other podcasts, where do you draw the line with vulnerability stuff? And And like not even just the things that are like, obviously this is private or I'm not going to talk about this because it's not my story to tell. And this is like my friend, but it's just like the way you offer yourself. I always find is really tricky because even, yeah. even, even talking about like, Oh, you should have monetized your coming out. It, I know. I bet it would be hard to not think of any major thing that happens in your life through that lens. I draw the line at other people. So like my breakup with my last ex was because of something she was going through. And I, it's not my story, but I could have. I mean, I, I in my mind, I was like, this might be helpful to people, but I I, I can't, you know, I, I did in a way like so I got diagnosed with bipolar disorder and I kept that to myself for years and I'd never talked about it on the podcast. I never I drew that like as a line. Um, and then when the Bad With Money book was coming out, I was like, well, this is I can't leave this out because so one of the my favorite chapter in the book is about um mania and depression and how that affects spending and I was like well I can't leave this out because if I tell the story because I flew to Europe on a whim and like lost all basically like had no money and like had to get it's a whole thing and I got mugged it was a whole thing but I was like that's like a huge part of like my money story I can't explain why I did it unless I say that I was like in a manic episode so so I was like okay the book is the first time that I talk about it but it also 
cynically led me to go, it's a book exclusive. Like they gave the book like a, like a set, like I was like this, I'm telling secrets that I've never told before. And that's how you sell a book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So again, it did become a marketing hook. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Look, if you can't make money off your mental illness, what can you make money off of? What's the point of having mental illness? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you did end up talking about that on one of your podcasts though, right? About your bipolar diagnosis? Yeah. Well, one time we had to because I, (laughs) because I came in to record, like I have like, like mania and depression is, is tough because I have with mania, I have like very grand delusions and it's hard to like parse out what's real and what's not. And then. When you're depressed, it's hard to parse out what's real and what's not because you convince yourself of things. So I came into the studio to record like in the midst of like suicidal ideation, basically, which I kind of go through a lot. And I and I also like never take off work like I'll like I've like fully during like one of my worst psychoses. I edited someone else's book like I just like had like I just am like, well, got to keep doing work. Um, so you're not, so, you're not one of these self-care people during the lockdown right now. That's like, all right, vacation time. No. Okay. No, I'm a lunatic. So like, I, I remember I had like a, a breakdown in 2012 and my parents, um, my parents came and got me in New York and took me home to Florida and basically like, it was like a rehab. Like they made me like stay in their house (laughs) and like they they were like you can't go anywhere um and the whole time like I was like so fucked up but the entire time I was like you have to let me go back to New York so I can go back to work you're ruining my life because I can't go back to work so I was like okay I'm gonna go I'm just gonna go into the studio and we'll do the podcast so I went and like you know we were, were talking about stuff and Allison was sort of like what's going on with you and I just was like well and I started like crying and we just talked about it on the show and then I was like they were sort of like do you want us to leave that in and I was like yeah let's leave it like I don't know I I was kind of like how often do you record you get to like record an interview with someone who's suicidal like that's interesting that's interesting content yeah <laughs> so I, I mean, like, but, let's but for do you, it is, is it the difference between What's the difference for you between interesting and helpful though? Because I would imagine that like yeah. a lot of the underlying thought is this might help someone else to just see it reflected and then make mm-hmm. someone else feel less alone. That's what I think. That's what I thought because I think people are like, oh, well, I think they have a wrong idea where they're like, this person is so successful and confident. Like, why would they ever, why would they ever want to die? <laughs> and it's like, oh, they're not related. <laughs> they're not related to each other at all. And also Allison did a really good job as a friend being like, but this isn't true and this isn't true. Um, And so some people wrote in and said it was really helpful actually to hear her side of the conversation because now when they have a friend who's going through that, they kind of know what to say. Yeah, there's a model Um, for it. Yeah, they were like, she did a good job of sort of like turning you, twisting you back to like reality. I was nervous about keeping it in because I didn't want to trigger people. And I also didn't want to worry everyone. Like I didn't want people to be like, like I got a lot of texts from friends and things like that. And I didn't want, I didn't want the fans to be nervous. I didn't want them to be like, oh my God, you know, my fave could kill herself. Like I didn't want that. So I didn't want to make them nervous. And I grappled with like, if it was a bad example, like I was like, is this setting a bad example? Like, should you, should you kind of always have an upbeat, persona because otherwise it's being a bad role model 
I also think the impetus for it to need or like your questioning of whether it should be upbeat or not is just from a lack of example of things that are not that you've heard or seen mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. So when you don't see that, it, it it almost weirdly gets back to when people ask me about podcast stuff, it's always like, okay, well, what's a show that you've never heard that you want to hear and what's something only you could do? And so mm-hmm. weirdly, like like the example of doing that and sharing something like that in such an intimate way, in a way that was hopefully safe, and that mm-hmm. was helpful, and I'm sure you got feedback on it that was positive from other people going through it. It's like that that's kind of answering those questions too of like, yeah, okay, well, I haven't heard this before. So novel, interesting, and then also like what's something only I could do. And then maybe you can frame it in a way that is like, yeah, cor- uh, not not even corrective, but just a, a, a good a good example that doesn't necessarily mean that it's corrective, but it's just good that it exists. Well, the problem with, bipolar disorder and and a lot of depictions are like and and then you were cured (laughs) and it's like uh like and if you and if you relapse or something goes wrong you failed in some way like you didn't like that's that's there's no end it doesn't end (laughs) like there's no it's like when people get married and they're like i'm married and it's like you still have to be married like it's not over (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I probably share too much. I'm very surprised sometimes when people when people know things like fans, they'll be like, oh, yeah, you're like X or like, oh, your sister this. And then I'll be like, how do you I'll be like, what? How do you know that? That's so and then they'll be like, you talk about it. I'm always curious with people that are prolific like you in the sense of like the body of work or is like being a TV writer, being an actress, being an author in this sense and then having these podcasts if it is just like another spoke in a wheel, if it's special for you, if it's like the most salient thing, if it's the thing that people most recognize you for, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how it fits into the rest of your life. It's more direct. It's like direct. It's off the cuff. It's in people's ears. I feel like it's the most intimate of the things that you can do. It's definitely going to survive whatever's going on. <laughs> it's the thing you can um, do right now for sure. Yeah. And... And I feel good about being able to reach people, especially when something like this is going on. It feels like radio. It feels like like wartime radio It right now. It feels to me like such a responsibility and a thing that can uplift people like a good morning Vietnam. Like literally like it is it is the the thing. And I feel like I feel especially with bad with money. I feel like I'm capturing a moment that I hope, and this is like, again, probably grandiose, but I'm like, I hope that like, I can show my kids what I was doing during this. You know, my dad was a hippie and like, did all this stuff, like went to Woodstock and like, you know, did did all the hippie stuff, was like part of all the historical stuff. Like, I don't know, saw the stones in some bar, like, you know, that kind of thing. And my mom was kind of a goody two shoes. And so my dad is like, has stories of the era and like kept a journal and like all this stuff. And that's how I feel. I'm like, I'm documenting, like I'm keeping all this stuff because that, and I'm able to reach people with it. And like, I hope that I'm like making some sort of dent in the content of this time. Like, you know, my podcast was on episode like eight when Trump got elected. So bad with money has been going on and documenting all of this and like we have a very cursed episode where uh it came out the the it it came out uh on election day 
And in the episode, I'm like, congratulations, Hillary Clinton. I'm oh assuming. Lord. Oh, I know. <laughs> the the um, arrogance of pre-November 2016 podcasts was like, there'll never be anything like that again. And people making jokes like that. It was unbelievable. I, yeah. Because I <laughs> it was episode- everyone. It wasn't just you. It was everybody. Yeah, the episode was like, I guess today we're celebrating, you know, whatever. Ugh. Um, and so I I hope that I'm taking a lot of pictures during this time. I'm recording a lot of stuff. Like, I'm hoping that this this makes a body of work that like is indicative of a time period. I'm recording my voice. Like my grandma one grandmother that I was very close to passed away when I was 14. And we don't have like any recordings of her really or anything. Uh we have like silent movies that she made uh her she and her husband did like videos of themselves at the beach and stuff when they were like she was like 22 but my other grandmother passed away in 2017 and before she died I like interviewed her I recorded her voice for like hours I like you know so I have that and we've used it on the podcast actually after she passed away we used the interview and so like that's what I that that's what I feel I'm lucky like podcasters are lucky to be able to do is that we have all of this we're recording all of this this is our lives right now these are our voices and and like I've been taking a lot of pictures and I've been writing like you know Gabby 31 Silver Lake you lived in Los Angeles you you know what I mean just because like it feels like right now is like document 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 and that's like what podcasting is yeah I feel like all my life or most of my adult life, I've been such a, I don't hoard anything or collect anything, but I loved collecting memories. I always loved, mm-hmm. even when I was a kid and in high school, taking a lot of pictures and taking a lot of video of everything. And so doing podcast stuff always did feel like somewhat of an extension of that stuff because mm-hmm. it literally is, oh, in April of uh, 2014, that's what that sounded like, or that's what he sounded like. That's what this guest sounded like. And so these things functioning as sort of like, uh, almost like backdoor journals or like Mm -hmm. informal personal journals, uh, Mm -hmm. I do find to be so valuable and, and, and the thing that accrues value over time and just really special. Yeah. Because you, you do only get so much from even like a photograph and you do get so much more of like, like those recordings of your grandmother. So valuable because you can hear all the spectrum and tenor of her voice. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. kept a bunch of voicemails from her all this kind of stuff and like i keep voicemails i mean this is morbid i keep voicemails from my parents just in case <laughs> like that's not morbid that's real that's the thing you'll want to listen to mm-hmm. and and i i mean there's 300 videos on the internet of me and allison from age like 25 to 27 like who has that you know yeah i mean i think like we're just i'm trying very hard to like specifically document things like write down where I lived, what I was doing. Cause my dad's journal from the seventies is nuts. <laughs> I bet. It's so great. It's like, he is like a really good writer. Like it should be like a book. Like it's, I was like, why are you writing? Why are you like writing so good? Throwing in your journal, this away. Yeah. Fucking asshole. <laughs> like what? Yeah. I love that. Gabby, I love your voice. I think it's terrific. Thanks. I think it's the right amount of loud. Thank you so much. And You're I very always, calming. You have a very calming voice. I hope so, but I hope it's complimentary in that I can calmly interrupt you and you can loudly interrupt me in return. Yep. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Basically. Gabby Dunn has a loud voice. And you can hear that voice on Bad With Money or Just Between Us, wherever you get your podcasts. Again, I don't know where you get your podcasts. And frankly, I'm about to give up trying to find out. 
Inside Voices is produced by me and Steve Allman. Our theme music is by Pam Atori. And I'm your host, Kevin T. Porter. Thanks for spending time with us today on Inside Voices. And please, at least for now, stay inside. That was a HeadGum Podcast.